Hello team, it's Fab here, founder and head teacher at All Marketing School and your Marketing BFF. I want to remind you that there is a special invitation for you to join us for the ALT Marketing Certification. Get certified as a positive impact strategy and make people fall in love with you and your work. Reclaim your time, understand the marketing foundations with a positive impact spin. If you are a marketing freelancer who wants to raise the quality of services and do more with less, or maybe you are an early stage marketeer ready to invest to gain real experience in building a strategy with purpose, or you're a marketing leader who wants to be recognized as a go-to expert and tackle new growth challenges. Whether you are beginners or whether you have some confidence into your strategy, we want to support you. We want to help you achieve your strategic goals, toss confettis in the air, and blast your favorite hype song as you get through eight incredible weeks with me and the rest of our faculty. Think about our certification as marketing training at university standards, not prices. So if you're ready to join us and you want to check out our incredible curriculum, all you have to do is go to amschool.click slash certification. I repeat, amschool.click slash certification to find out more and learn what you are going to go through in our eight weeks. From marketing foundations all the way to leadership and storytelling skills, we're also going to cover strategic marketing blocks and advanced marketing tools. Plus, you get workshops, seats, group work, and even timely panels with incredible experts in the field. So what are you waiting for? No, I mean it. Our next cohort is starting real soon. So make sure that you head to amschool.click slash certification to come and join us and learn how to market to hearts, not to brains. Welcome to Alt Marketing School. We are currently bringing together a new wave of marketers, just like yourself. We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly, empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. Hello, Squirrel friends. My name is Fab. Welcome back to All Marketing School. I'll have you know that I managed to get Justin to crack a laugh right before we started the podcast. So I think my job is done. We're now comfy and ready to go. Aren't we, Justin? Oh, we are. This is going to be amazing. (laughs) Justin, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to be giving a tiny bit of context to anyone who doesn't know you yet before we jump on today's chat and interview ops. So Justin, in case you don't know, is Justin Moore, is a sponsorship coach and the founder of Creative Wizard, a school and community that teaches you how to find and negotiate your dream brand deal so that you stop leaving thousands on the table. Very important. Along with his wife, April, he's been a full-time creator for over seven years and has personally made over three millions working with brands. He also runs an influencer marketing agency for over five years and has helped other creators earn an additional two mils. I love... I know Justin from what he has been or you have been uh, posting on Twitter and online. So I've been able to look at some of the things you do and it resonates so much with me that I just have to ask if you wanted to have a chat and I'm glad that you're here. So thank you again. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm, st- I'm stoked. I could talk about sponsorships and brand deals for 24 hours a day. So uh, any any avenue to allow me to do that, I'm stoked. <laughs> That's what we're in. To be honest, 
I will have to be honest with you. I'm actually going to break it to you. We're going to start with a couple of questions that have nothing to do with that. But I promise we'll get back right. on, on, on the on the saddle. Cool? Of, of course. It's all good. So the first question is actually, and maybe it goes back to our topic of the day. What would be a trivia category you'd be really good at and why, Justin? A trivia category. Probably like like metal bands like like hard rock metal music like that is like my secret that or opera because i i'm i've i was in a metal band in high school and i was trained in opera when i was younger so like those two things i would probably kill it on okay so now i'm gonna have to ask a question as a follow-up question before we jump into <laughs> the next step because our dear listeners who've been with us for a long time know me and my background favorite album of all time Favorite album of all time? Yes. Oh, my God. This one's maybe a little random, but um, probably Emery, The Question. Emery is one of my favorite brands, and I think their album, The Question, is perfection start to finish. So that's probably my answer. That's not a metal band, by the way, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a fantastic album. I love my music people. And I know that's where listeners sometimes roll their eyes and are like, again, yeah. but as I find somebody who <laughs> likes to talk about music for more than five seconds with me, I'm like, sorry, so we'll get back to marketing and business is just five seconds. I promise. <laughs> I promise we'll get back to it. Um, and now, okay, now I'm even more interested to the next question then. Thank you, Justin, is what is mm. the first job you had and what did you learn from it? Mm. The first job I had, true job, it was in high school, actually tutoring. I I tutored, uh, that was like the first way in which I made my first, like, like to, to me as a kid, like I actually was tutoring rich kids because I did not, I was like, my family was, you know, solidly middle class for sure. Like we did fine. But like, I remember I would make like $25 or $30 an hour tutoring rich kids <laughs> and like, you know, go to their house and do the whole thing. And to me, I was making so much more money than all of my friends in high school. And they were just like, couldn't like, couldn't believe it. Right. But like, to me, that always, that was my first taste of entrepreneurship, strangely, actually. And I, I've never thought about that until just now, actually, right when you asked me this question, because I've never, I don't really like dwell or meditate on my childhood very much. But like that, that really taught me that like, having a unique skill and something that you're good at and really leaning into it and figuring out a way to leverage that um, can take you very far in life, even if it's something that you don't. And and to be honest, I never looked at like the tutoring as like, I'm going to be a tutor for the rest of my life. It was like, no, let me leverage this thing that I'm good at to do these, to spend money on these other things that I'm interested in. So like I, for me, like it taught me that like you can have a very fulfilled life even if your job or even if this thing that you're deriving your main income from isn't the thing you're most passionate about, as well, as long as you can use it to pour into these other things that you really enjoy. I know. I love that. And what I love even more about that is that that was also my first ever job. Again, if you can't tell, job was tutoring, uh, genuinely. So I understand where, where you're coming from with that as well. Um, I found it easy. Uh, because I'm a very organized person. Obviously, I love languages, as we can tell. Uh, so I, I love doing that, and it came quite natural to me. And I, I also agree with you with the fact that it can teach you a lot. But I never thought about it that way. And then, again, it's another clever and also very important reminder, because I find that especially in the space that we both are in, even if obviously we support 
different types of professionals, not just the creators, also like the marketers, the consultants. But then even so, I find that it can be so hard, especially at the beginning, to forget that not everything you do has to be the all purpose and meaning in your life, you know, everything that you enjoy. Because as you say, then then there's nothing else left. And it also means that you kind of deprive yourself of the other things that make life fun. They are outside of everything has to be monetized. And maybe again, this is my unpopular opinion, but I find that that sometimes is the push that we get, especially when you enter these type of industries. I don't know if you see it from other creators you work with as well. Yeah, this is actually, okay, we're getting real off topic now, but I love this. I I think it's useful because um, I actually think people make this mistake when they're looking for a life partner, a romantic partner in life, is that they they look to this person to be everything, to have the exact same interests as them, to do everything that they want to do in their free time, all this stuff. And I think that's the exact opposite that you need. That Like you should not be looking to your partner to get everything from them. If your partner doesn't like talking about politics, go find some friends who like talking about politics. This is like an example. It's like it doesn't have to be the person who like satisfies your every intellectual desire. Uh, this is completely off topic, but like I think it's a parallel here. It's like you you don't have to look. I think it's terrible advice to like, oh, just go find something you love. I, I have it took me a long time to figure out that like talking about sponsorships and this is like really the thing that I was good at. And yes, it now has become something that I love talking about. And I also make money from it. But like for, for the first 35 years of my life, that was not the case. And so it's just like sometimes it takes a journey to figure it out. And it goes back to my final question from the little icebreaker, which is going to bring us back, as we said, a bit more on the topic, even if, again, what you said there can be applied to so many things. And also, I think with our <clears throat> 30 plus years experience in life, it reminds you that, again, there's a time where you can explore and that's fine. There's a time where you can try different things and that's fine. Then at some point you will find your way and maybe it will change again. And I think that we can see things in a highlight sort of perspective, especially when it comes to the online world of social media. And it's hard for us to perceive that sometimes. So with that in mind, uh, since we're all about encouraging people to market to hearts, not brains, and reflect that in the way we show up, what does making a positive impact on your audience mean to you and why, Justin? So there's two main highs that I, t- that I chase <laughs> in my life. Um, and it's very specific inflection points for the creators in my audience and in my community. Um, the first one is creators who are getting a bunch of free product offers from brands like, hey, you have this following. Let me just send you this you know, product, this $10 bag of potato chips. <laughs> or let me just give you a free code to use my trial of my software or whatever. And then you'll post about it, right? You'll make a blog post, you'll make a YouTube video, yada, 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 right? That's cool, right? And creators, like initially, that's awesome. It's like, wow, free stuff. I don't have to pay for it. It's so cool, right? But then once you do all that and you get that out of the way, you start to realize, well, you know what? Like, I kind of want to like make some money off of this, right? Because I'm like pumping out all this free content. Uh, it would really be nice to like pay my bills with something other than uh, exposure, <laughs> which is what a lot of brands <laughs> promise, right? Um, and so, because I don't know about your like bank or your like your uh, landlord, but they don't really tend to accept gift cards or exposure as like payment, right? So um, the first high that I chase is like helping people convert 
those free product offers into finally getting paid for the first time. That is like such an unlock for most people. It's just like, wow, like I can actually make money from this thing that I love doing. So that's like the the first step, right? And I absolutely love that. And then the second one is when you're a little bit more advanced in your career, where you have some experience actually doing paid partnerships, but then you finally realize like, wow, instead of charging $1,000 for this engagement, I can actually charge $20,000, right? Where it's like the the, the ceiling, just the, the roof is just completely blown off, where you start to realize like, wow, I have so much more value that I can bring to these brands, to these partners than I initially realized. And so like, that's what my courses, a lot of my, my coaching, a lot of stuff like is focused on this and this change, because it's like with some very simple tweaks to the way in which you're marketing yourself, the way in which you're positioning yourself, um, you can like wake, make way more money than most people realize. And what is interesting actually about what, what you mentioned is that I spoiled it. When, when we jumped into the chat before going on air, I did tell uh, Justin about the seven years of experience that I've had with influencer marketing and the creator economy just from what we used to do before, obviously, or marketing school, which some of the dear listeners will remember. So I have seen the industry at a stage where, once again, you said about gift vouchers, it was literally everything brands would give. And funnily enough, again, coming from the industry from genuinely seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, there were bloggers mainly at the time, but obviously it can be any type of creator. They were thrilled. We were in the well-being space. Oh, yeah, like give me another juice, give me another bar, give me another whatever that might be, activewear. And it was interesting because that's where the bar was set. So that's where the expectations were set. And then I found that there was, and obviously I want to hear your opinion afterwards because I'm seeing it from my side of the, of the coin. Uh, then probably after a couple of years, everything boomed and exploded. And then influences as a word became a big thing, which funnily enough, anybody in our community hated that term pretty much. So again, that's why I'm, I'm really happy that now we're embracing the creator idea because I think it represents better what people actually do. And that was a big boom that came up with some highs and some lows, yet still a lot of confusion around the whole communication. And then now I think we're in a new stage, which I'll put my hand up and say, no idea about that because we I've removed myself or us from that space. And this is where I want to hear from you. So hopefully I gave us a bit of a background of my experience, which again, I don't know like if you've seen that as well from the past. Where do you think we are now? How do you think the whole landscape of creators, who they are, how they interact with brands has changed? And double question, where do you think we're going in the next one to three years? Boom. Yeah, so I think that a lot of it is very platform specific in my experience. So like, for example, the explosion of TikTok, you know, over the last couple of years, I view TikTok very much as how YouTube felt. 10 years ago, because that's where my wife and I got our start and where we've grown most of our influence over the years is on YouTube and things like that. And like in the early days, none of us had any idea what we were doing. Like we've made literally every mistake in the book. You you name like a terrible, like, oh yeah, I did a deal with the brand without signing a contract. Yep, we did that. You know, like like literally everything you could possibly think, you know, gave a brand rights to like use our, our content as like a broadcast TV ad without paying us. Oh yeah, we did that. You know, it's like anything you can imagine we've done. Um, and so like, Part of what I view as my mission and my responsibility is uh, helping people avoid a lot of those things because I look at TikTok and I look at a lot of the creators coming up. You know, a lot of them have never had 
traditional nine to five jobs, right? So they don't know what it's like interacting with a brand or an agency in a professional setting. They don't understand what that is like and how they need to be polite and like not send one word answers back in their emails. And like, there's just so much that, that goes into that. And so a lot of it is kind of platform specific, I would say, but there is a, I think a, uh, a migration to this much more raw aesthetic of content when it comes to being a creator. Because what TikTok has shown us is that anyone can be a creator. Anyone can be a quote unquote influencer, right? The person, you know, working at a, a you know, Amazon fulfillment center, you know, could get 500,000 followers or whatever, because people are interested in these, uh, you know, relatively day-to-day, uh, you know, lives that that people lead. Um, and so like the, the definition of what is a creator, what is an influencer is changing quite a bit, I would say. Um, and so... Yes, it's platform specific, but it's also about a rejection of the perfect Instagram aesthetic, I would say, that, you know, dominated the last seven to eight years. Um, so, so that's one thing. And so the other, the other thing, too, I think, is that creators are just becoming a lot more savvy uh, with respect to getting paid. Right. That like wanting to it's not as stigmatized to like actually want to be compensated for your time and for your effort. Right. And the value that you're actually providing to someone. And so, you know, I, my, I joke that like, would you go and work a nine to five job for free, like or for like a free slice of pizza? Like, no, you're not going to do that. Right. So it's like, why are you going to go out there and create all these amazing, valuable assets for a brand? that They're going to turn around, cut down, use it for paid advertising, for premium UGC, you know, user generated content on Instagram or whatever, get a lot of mileage and value out of that. Are you going to do that? for free? No, you're not going to do that for free. And so like there is a an awakening, I would say, for a lot of people to understand that like, no, what I have is valuable and it's, it's you know, reasonable for me to act, actually ask to be compensated for, for this type of thing. And so, so that's the first part of your answer is like it is very much changing. The second thing is, is that there are, there are technological developments and platform developments, I think, that are going to really separate the, the true influencers, the people who have real influence from those that don't. And and what I'm talking about specifically is live commerce. So um, for example, my wife and I have been doing Amazon Live for the last 18 months or so. And what this is, is it is basically QVC for influencers, right? And so you're doing a live show. It's a, it's a, it's a new type of content format where we're talking about, let's say, 30 to 40 products, we, there is a carousel below the video, the live stream. And we are literally, basically, the people can click out, click the product, add it to their cart and purchase it. And if they choose to purchase it, we receive a commission, right? And so um, the reason that that's so, so critical is that all of a sudden it's attributable, right? So if you partner, if a brand says, hey, I want to do a sponsored live stream, you can know exactly how many products you sold, right? And so um, it's one thing to have like a, you know, a coupon code or, you know, click the link in my bio and use the code JUSTIN20 to get 20% off your first purchase. We've all heard it, right? And so like, yes, that's one version of it. But like, this is this is that on steroids, right? And so like, I, as you see, th this format has just absolutely exploded in Asia for the last three years. And so it's only a matter of time before this gets absolutely gigantic. All the platforms, Amazon, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, they're all experimenting with live shopping. And I, I think that this is the, the next holy grail for advertisers. And so as a creator, we saw this 18 months ago and we're like, we have to do this. Like we have to jump on this. We have to get good at it because in two years, in three years, everyone is going to want to do this. Every brand is going to want to, is, is going to see the value in this tactic. And so to answer your question, I think that is really what's going to differentiate the person who's like smiling on Instagram, like, ah, you know, from the person who can be very dynamic in a live environment and actually sell products. I'm going to geek out.
kids, kids, just bear with. I'm going to geek out because I, I absolutely love this. And the reason why I do is because uh, we do, uh, we used to do a weekly, now it's going to be monthly sort of review of like social media updates, what's been happening, because obviously social has a big impact when it comes to the to creators and the way they reach their audience, whether we like it or not. Even if obviously Web3 is coming and there's a lot of decentralized conversations, but we still know that it's a big, as you say, like you mentioned platforms that are obviously inherently social. And I'm going to ask you a question because that's my geek out thought. And um, I have hats. That's my skeptical prediction hat on. So careful, kids. And that is, I'm wondering whether with all of these type of monetization, which actually make life easier from a brand perspective and also a creator perspective, where would the place be for agencies and other platforms that, you know, that provide opportunities for creators versus either like, as, as we mentioned, uh, almost like a customer relationship management connection, like direct connection between the creator and the brand or going straight to the platform because you might as well cut the middleman because TikTok has got his own pool of people and then LinkedIn is probably going to have his creator pool a bit more kind of defined. So what is your thought? Because I see a bit like this, is that I think we're moving away from that kind of middleman third party. And I know that you were yourself in a way kind of part of that of that crowd because of these new solutions that are really taking the platform first or the direct relationship back to the creators. Yeah, I completely disagree. Um, <laughs> and that's why this is a great this is a great uh, conversation, because uh, the platforms have tried this many times, like the Facebook creator marketplace, like a lot of the TikTok creator marketplace, they just like kind of suck, honestly, like they, they, they realize that like scale is really difficult, right? You would think, yeah, like go straight to the platform, like it's super easy. But one thing I have learned running an agency for the last seven years is that there will always be brands at both ends of the spectrum and everywhere in between. There is always going to be some brands who want, yeah, they love the full self-service option. They just want to create an account on the TikTok creator marketplace and do their own thing and manage the campaigns and interface with the influencers directly. But honestly, as brands get larger, they just don't want to do it. They don't, they want someone else to manage it for them. They want to say, hey, here's $100,000, go hire 25 influencers for us and do the campaign, all the logistics, figure out the strategy. Should we just, should we be on, should we be on multiple platforms? Should we be doing TikTok, YouTube, blah, 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 right? And so it's like, that's the one challenge with a lot of these like platform specific, pretty much no brand is doing only like when they work with an influencer, there's almost always some sort of social amplification component to it on other platforms. So if it's like you work with a TikToker or a YouTuber, it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to do the one integrated YouTube video, but we're also going to do a cut down that goes on Instagram and that goes on Facebook and that yada, 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 right? And so it's like engaging with an influencer through the platform marketplace is going is always going to be somewhat of a constraint for larger brands who view the strategy uh, as, as a much broader play than just like, oh, we're just going to do it on TikTok, right? So I, when I say I fundamentally disagree, it's more just like, I think there's always going to be a place for, you know, platforms. There's always going to be a place for agencies. Now, what I will say though, is that there is and has been a lot more consolidation amongst agency partners. Whereas, you know, before it was like the PR agency running point on anything, but on everything. But now there's the influencer agencies out there who are vying for the business. Now media agencies are spinning up their own, you know, influencer branded content division. So it's like, there is like, seemingly like less scraps that everyone's fighting over, you know, from the agency world, especially now that there's all these self-service platforms and stuff. So the dynamics of the marketplace are definitely changing for sure. But I don't think that means that that it's always, it's going to be like, all of a sudden, everyone's going to go rush to the platform, still manage this stuff. Love it. 
then I'm going to ask another question to follow up on that. We might, we might, we might hat on. I've got another hat on. Uh, she's going down for more. And actually, this is more from a creative perspective because I love what you mentioned there. And you actually give us, give me a perspective from somebody who is still more active in the field. So that's why you're the expert, and that's why I trust your opinion. And what made me think about was what would you suggest? And based on this, or what will you see the creators? lying on or relying on a bit more you know when it comes to the creator side as you say the brands can see the benefit and I agree time can be the of the essence they mean somebody can do it for them there's still a place for that premium experience of just not having to worry about it but what I wonder about is the type of creators that obviously you're working with that's why I'm asking you because you see the ones that are rising and they are thriving do you find that they are still looking for that support and actually for them is more about the time they can save with dealing with the sponsorships or is it more a case of they want a coach or a course or something that can tell them how to do it better themselves because they like the creative control? Because again, I think also the role of the creator in this perspective has evolved massively in the last couple of years. Yeah, very much so. So um, to split hairs a little bit, um, I think that there is quite a bit of novelty in what I'm doing as a sponsorship coach because I've never really heard anyone call themselves a sponsorship coach. Like there's a lot of managers, there's a lot of agents, there's people, you can't retain me. It's not like I can like be your coach and I'll, I'll, I'll negotiate all of your inbound deal flow. No, I'm going to teach you, right? It's a very fundamentally different dynamic that I am promising with my courses and my coaching and things like that. Um, because what I have found is that there is a, this long tail of, creators where they're between let's say 10k and 150k followers on you know Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, that's kind of my sweet spot, right? On those social platforms. Um and they're not really big enough to have a manager yet to do all this stuff for them, but they're making money. They're doing deals, they're making money, they need guidance, and a lot of time they feel like they have no idea what it, what they're doing. And so there's there's this hunger, there's this appetite for like educating themselves around negotiation, you know, psychology and like pricing strategies and, you know, price anchoring and like all this stuff that I love talking about all day long. And those people are very excited about investing in their knowledge. One of my favorite things to like describe is like uh, in any traditional job, like if you want to move up and ascend in your career, you go out and you Take a perfect, you know, you go and you get your master's degree or you, you know, invest in alt marketing school or you, you know, you invest in, right, you know, getting a some sort of professional certification or something like that, right? It's like a very obvious thing, right? But like when you're a creator, what do you do? Like you, I guess, you courses, right? You you find a mentor, you find coaches, right? So it's just like, I am here to like destigmatize this idea that like, if we want to grow as a creator, you have to invest in your knowledge. Like, yeah, you can go get new camera gear and lenses and software and all that stuff. Yeah, that's going to help the quality of your content. But like, what is going to move the needle for your business? And that that's where I come into play. And I love that. And it goes back to me wanting to absolutely know everything about uh, the creative economy expo as well, which we're going to jump on in a second. But I wanted to reiterate that. And it came actually what you just talked about from um, in our certification. Thank you for the mention. Uh, we have a creative economy <laughs> workshop. She didn't pay me to say that, by the way, but maybe you want to after. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, we're not going to talk about brand deal. See what's happening here. Inception. Inception, kids. Very, very meta. <laughs> That's how we like to do it. But on, on that specific workshop, which again is one of the things that makes us unique aside from a few others, because we really want to focus on some of the topics that are relevant. And people love that workshop, our alumni, because it was really unique. And one of them asked a very clever question once, which kind of stuck with me. And it was, 
why do you call it the creator economy and why is this workshop not called influencer marketing? And the reason why I chose that name and we devised that uh, lesson as it is, is because the creator economy, yes, as an element of that brand deal, the sponsorship, but also the creators see themselves as businesses. And I think, as you said as well, it changes and hopefully, as you said, it will change even more the relationship that the creators have with their business and their brand. Then now they can see it more in that way. Uh, so I wanted to mention that just to kind of piggyback on what you said, but also to ask you about the expo, just because I'm interested, first of all, there wasn't such a thing like 10 years ago because the creator economy wasn't a thing. So maybe if there was any highlights or something that really stood out for you when it came to it, something that actually you even learned, being somebody that is so immersed into the world from the expo as well, I would love to hear that. Yeah, so this was the first uh, annual expo of the Creator Economy Expo, um, and I was fortunate enough to speak um, at it, and there were some amazing speakers. What, one thing that really stood out to me was that there seems to be this interesting divide. I don't know if I would call it a divide, but like there, there is very much like a lot of creators – uh, you know, you look at the, you think of the term creator as like a social media influencer or a social media creator, someone on Instagram or TikTok or something like that. But very much there was a, a big segment, uh, a big cohort at this conference who is not that at all. It's like newsletter authors, podcasters, like, you know, so I, I think one of the most interesting things to me that I, I, I'm not sure I still really have an answer for it, but like, um, the word creator feels very all encompassing and a lot of people don't feel like it that term fits them, you know, because uh, a lot of advertisers want to just like label, <laughs> label everyone like, oh, you're a creator, you know, like this guy, but like to a lot of people that just doesn't feel right, or doesn't feel like what they're actually doing. And yet, they're making income from this crazy thing that they're doing on the internet, right? Um, and so that was like my one very, because there was a lot of like web three people at the conference, there was a lot of like podcasters, there was a lot of like bloggers, newsletter authors, some, you know, social media, media creators and stuff. But it was just a very much a hodgepodge of like, all these different people who are like making money on the internet. And so it very much, I, I just think it's like the interesting observation is that it's not homogeneous, the creator economy is very much um, diverse and, and there's a lot of different types of people. And so anyone listening to this who is trying to like have a service or have a course or have a business that is targeting creators, what I, I believe the takeaway is, is that you have to be very, very intentional about who your customer is. Who is your persona, right? Is it, you know, social media creators on TikTok who have 50,000 followers or less? Or like you have to be very specific because if you're using this very high level language, oh, creators, all this stuff, like it's going to speak to no one. It's going to speak to everyone and then speak to no one. That leads me to another point, which again, diving into probably very specifics, but because I think that I want to know, that's what I'm asking now, which I think is on the mind of some of the listeners that maybe either are brands that are in the B2B space or maybe there are consultants that work with a variety of clients. And I, again, this is going back to what you're talking about, like the different like pigeonholing or the different way that the terms have evolved and the concepts have evolved. I, again, let's see if there's another room for disagreement. I'm ready for it. I'm going to put my hats on. Uh, but I feel that there's like a, a big growing niche of creators in the B2B space when it comes to kind of leadership, especially in the LinkedIn space, but not only. You find like real estate is massive on TikTok, you know, you will say of all things. And um, I know that there are some listeners that might be struggling with that. And we had, again, some alumni that were like, well, I'm a coach. Can I use creators? Or again, I offer, I am a software. I don't know. Can I actually fit in the creator economy conversation? Because I think, once again, talking about stigmas, there's this idea of product placement, 
again, paying rent with your Starbucks cups or whatever. And it's something that, again, for example, I'm asking because I don't have the answer. I can see it from the external point of view. And I see LinkedIn as being a great example and also TikTok in some mm. ways. But again, maybe from the people that you work with or from what you've seen, I would love to hear that because the B2B space to me is fascinating when it comes to the creator economy. Yeah. So um, I would say my answer would have been different a year ago. Um, because I had, I went into my course, like very intentionally targeting social media creators. Cause that's like my set of experience and all this stuff. But I've been absolutely shocked at how universal a lot of the things I teach are, because for example, I had a LinkedIn creator who has 60,000 followers, who, uh, is a data science influencer. <laughs> okay. Um, and she has a podcast all about data science, machine learning and all this stuff. Um, and she messaged me and was like, do you think your course would help me? And I was like, and I was very clear. I was like, you know, it's very, it's very much for like social media creators, but I think probably 90% of the course will be very useful for you. And so she signed up and got a ton out of it because like she is getting people who want to sponsor her podcast. They, you know, this conferences, tech conferences, machine learning conferences. They're like, Hey, we want to drive ticket sales to our latest webinar or, you know, conference or whatever, yada, yada. And she's like, I don't know what, it, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what, you know, what do I do with this? How do I negotiate for this? Right. So it's like, you know, you, you need to like think, you know, you know, to your question about all the different types of people, uh, you know, who are listening, it's not just about like, oh, here, here's this consumer product, like, hey, go buy this toothpaste. No, there's like so many other ways in which you can leverage creators and leverage influencers in your particular space to, you know, have a meaningful outcome for your business. And so I think that that's like a, a really, uh, one of my favorite examples from a B2B perspective is like, you know, if you have influence over your particular topic, there's so many different ways that you can and you can um, take that. Excellent. I think this is definitely something that a lot, again, as I said, even just a lot of students, which tells me a lot because these are the people that talk to us, have had a lot of resistance or confusion around. So it definitely cleared, I think, also for some of the listeners as well, a couple of thoughts. And I want to now go into a couple of like more quick fire questions still around the topic, just more of the top level, because I think with that really deep, I really wanted. And maybe there are some things that are a bit more, okay, I am starting out to actually have these conversations online with brands. So let's get back to, to the, the beginning of a relationship, which to me is the most important thing. I always say in my workshops, you really don't want to like the first approach that you have with somebody is to take them out on a date. And then at the end of the date, you ask them to marry you. Because if you do that, these people should run. And if they don't run, what a problem. Yeah. Okay. And well, I, think- I, I actually did I actually Ooh. did tell my wife I wanted to marry her on like one of our first dates. So I was might it- maybe not a great example <laughs> of that. Of that. <laughs> I totally freaked one, her out. It, it was one of the first. It was like maybe the second or third. And hey, it worked out though. So but uh, anyways, that's a, that's an anecdote. <laughs> I love it. Now now people are gonna blame us. <laughs> like because they're giving them a lot of this advice today and they're like, what is going on? <laughs> what is this episode about uh... again? Uh, so aside from Justin's excellent example of the exception, you know, this sometimes confirms the truth, I guess. Um no, but I'm really generally wondering what would you say are you know, some, some of the questions are maybe a bit more basic, but they bring us back to the important things, which are the basics, like some of the best practices when it comes to initiate your conversation. And I'm going to be a bit harder, if you if we may, both from a creator's mm-hmm. perspective, maybe one tip from a creator's perspective and one tip from a brand perspective, because I think everybody should Got learn it. how to do this better. Okay, creator perspective. Don't make the pitch about you. This is the number one thing that 
every every number one mistake that everyone makes is that when they reach out to their dream brand, whether you're a you know a consumer focused creator or you're a B2B creator or whatever, and you're trying to reach out to this software company or this consumer brand or whatever, and you wanting to collaborate with them, you say, Hi, my name is Justin. I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was, you know, I have six siblings and I'm joking, but like, you know, here are the de- audience, my audience demographics, here are how many followers I have. Here's the brands I've worked with before. I'd love to collaborate. That's what they say. That's the pitch that they get all day long. And that's not interesting in any way whatsoever, because you are coming at this from a me, me, me perspective. Okay. And this is one of the core fundamental things that I teach is you have to make it about the brand. You have to make the pitch a research-based pitch that is relevant to, uh, you know, some either current campaign that they're running or campaign that they've run in the past. Because there's so many breadcrumbs that brands leave on social media that help inform your pitch. You can be like, oh, looks like this brand is trying to do this. They're trying to target this type of customer. They worked with this other creator. They worked with, they did this other partnership. They did this press release. They're talking about this on their Instagram, right? So it's like, you can take all that information and, be, and say, hey, I saw that you were doing, you were saying and trying to do X. Here is who I am. I also have an audience that is hungry for information about that or your solution or whatever. Here is what I would like to do for you. What do you think? That is a fundamentally different pitch than like me, 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 here's who I am, love to collaborate. Because when you say that, when you say, hey, I would love to collaborate with you, what are you doing? You are throwing the ball into their court and being like, hey, think up, think up a way for us to work together. So you're giving them more work. You've given them no reason of how you're differentiated relative to other people in your space. And so it's just like, and then what happens? You don't get a response, you get ghosted, or they say no, and then you think, oh, well, I guess pitching brands doesn't work. And that is the biggest fallacy is that you pitch a couple brands, you don't hear back, and then you just swear off pitching forever. And like, I, so a lot of what I do in my coaching and in my, in my courses is like trying to help people unlearn this mindset of that pitching doesn't work because it absolutely does if you do it right. So that's from the creator's perspective. Um, from a brand's perspective, so when you're working with creators, I would say like the, the biggest and most important piece of having a successful campaign is knowing what you are trying to accomplish with this campaign. What is your goal? Is it sales? Is it you're trying to get a bunch of assets that you can repurpose on your page for paid advertising and so on? Or is it brand awareness? Because those three different campaign goal types are completely different. And your KPIs, your success metrics, everything that you need to measure is going to be different. If it's a say, if it's a conversion focused campaign, you're going to look at sales. You're going to look at app downloads. You're going to look look at coupon redemptions, right? And so that's the only things really that you should be caring about. So if there if the creator doesn't get a lot of impressions or doesn't get a lot of views or whatever on the video, it doesn't matter, right? If you if you identified your success metrics as sales, then that's what you should look at. If it's uh, about repurposing the content, then all of these other social vanity metrics, impressions, views, engagement, sales, doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters because you're getting assets that you can repurpose because if you if you didn't hire that creator, you'd have to go out there and hire a production company, which would probably cost $50,000 to like get you an asset, 30 second asset. And then you're going to have to go and you know pay Instagram and Facebook to run the ad, right? So that's the success metrics for that. If it's a brand awareness campaign, none of that other stuff matters. doesn't matter how many assets you get. doesn't matter how many sales they drive. It's like word of mouth. It's a product launch. Are you know, impressions, like all this, right? So as a brand, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> you have to pick one and really be intentional about bringing all of the stakeholders on your team. And everyone knows that like, this is the metric that we care about for this campaign, for this particular creator. I can vouch that that has been 
when when we used to do this double work ourselves or myself, I guess, that was one of the biggest issues that we encountered as well, is is genuinely how it's the biggest fallacy, and I'm gonna add to that just a little bit of an aside, is also one of the biggest fallacies when it comes to overall marketing campaigns, since we create one with our um, with our students every single time. So each student creates their campaigns and the biggest, you would expect them to have problems with other elements. The metrics are always the biggest issue because we think at metrics are, that I should put followers in this side of the, the strategy. And then when we ask them about what is the goal of this step of the strategy that you have created, they're like, is, as you say, is X. And you're like, then why are you focusing on this? Because that's the assumption. So it's a big issue that is goes beyond the kind of creator campaigns because I see it so often and even our students I see it all the time. So good reminder. Well, you know the the other the other interesting uh, I hear this a lot, which is that creators are ve- they very they have a lot of anxiety around their numbers or their metrics. They're like, oh, I don't get a lot of reach, or you know, like I used to on Instagram or my newsletter open rates suck or like downloads on my podcast. Or they're just like this. They're not confident. And, and feeling like they're doing well, right? Um, not to mention that like everyone loves moving the goalposts where it's like, once I get to 10,000 subscribers on my newsletter, or, you know, 1,000 downloads on my podcast per episode, I'll be happy. And then when you get there and they're just like, well, yeah, but if I had 5,000, right? So it's like the goalposts are always moving. So that's number one. Number two is that the partners and the brands and the people that you want to work with and collaborate with truly do not give a crap. I don't know if I can say crap on this podcast. Do not give a crap about your numbers as much as you do. I believe me, right? So it's just like, yeah, there may be some people who, you oh, give me your audience demographics or give me your numbers or whatever. And you send them, they're like, oh, well, I guess we can't work with you because you're not, you know, you don't have like 5,000, you know, followers or whatever. Like if that's, if that is really what they care about the most, that's not a good partner for you, right? And so what you really need to hear is that a lot of this is in your head, right? And so you just have to lean into the fact that the numbers are the numbers. There's nothing you can do about them. That's just the way it is, all right? And so focus on on creating compelling content, high quality stuff, being an amazing partner, um, and you're going to be just fine. <laughs> you mentioned there something, and then I'm going to go with our final quick fire round, but I want to reiterate something you said, which is also, especially when you have a good track record with working with brands and delivering great results, but also being easy, professional to work with, you know, delivering what you said, don't underestimate the power of that because as uh, Justin mentioned earlier, a lot of the time what we value is our time and also the efficiency. So it's actually a set of skills that are very underrated, in my opinion, obviously from running a business myself. Um, that level of professionality is something that brands value too. It might not be the, obviously the aim of the campaign itself, but it could be also the decision maker if you have somebody that is tight on time. Honestly, like I talk about this a lot, which is that the height of my of our influence, my wife and I, on social media, on YouTube, Instagram, whatever, like our heyday probably was like seven years ago, probably, right? When we were getting millions of views a month on YouTube and all that stuff, right? And yet we've made the most money we've ever made every year since then, even though our influence has been going down and down and down and down and down. And the reason for that is just what you said, is that a lot of times what these partners, these brands, these agencies that we're working with value is that when they come to April and Justin for a partnership, they know that it's going to be done on time. They know that it's going to be a great experience. If anything comes up, crazy feedback from the client, we will make it happen, right? And we will say every talking point with aplomb. 
uh, and we will make the process easy for them. And so they are willing to pay a premium for that all day long because every they have, you know, if if all the other creators that working they're working with, a lot of them are divos, divas, right? They make it so it's pulling teeth. They have to email them three, four times to get every th single thing from the campaign. Do you realize like amplified by 10 other creators, if every other creator is doing that, it is just a massive headache. So if they can hire us to make five posts instead of one post, they don't have to deal with four other creators or influencers. We make their life easier. We get paid five times more money, right? So it's like, there's all these interesting, like follow, like cascading positive benefits as a creator when you can be professional and business-minded that have nothing to do with how many followers you have or what your influence is. Preach. Very much so. <laughs> you need a cowbell or something. <laughs> or something like that. Um, right? One more aside. If anybody's seen the SNL sketch about the cowbell, uh, if you haven't, yeah, okay, I'm going, I'm going to put it actually in the show notes, then that will be the problem. So if I actually had a cowbell, then it would be more cowbell. And then it would we be just cool. need more cowbell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that should be become a staple of this podcast, I think. <laughs> or at least every time I come on okay, for the sequel. All right, we're already booking in for another one. I love it. We didn't have to do anything. Great. Thank you, Justin. But we're not done yet. We've got quick fires. Quick fires, quick answer questions, quick question questions. My first one, which is one of my faves, again, very selfishly, is, um, Justin, what underrated tool is indispensable for your work? ConvertKit, my email marketing software platform. I, I was not, I grew my, I have about almost 5,000 creators on my newsletter now. I didn't have one less than two years ago. I've been on social media for a decade. And so like owning my audience and being able to reach out to them and email them directly in their inbox and not worry about whether a social media algorithm is going to show my content to them. Having that dynamic in, introduced into my business has been a total game changer for me. Big fans of ConvertKit ourselves. So I definitely second the recommendation there too. And big fan of email marketing. So again, yes, yeah. pretty much any, any, any listener or student will know because that's all I talk about. So excellent there. Second question. We're going to jump hoops now. Uh, you might need your phone for that one, but maybe you remember it. What is the last picture you took on your phone that we can talk about? <laughs> Uh, the last picture. Okay. I have actually a good one. Um, I, uh, well, it's not technically the last picture I took, but I'm going to hold it up. This is my T-ball. I, I coach my kids T-ball team. And this is my, this is my picture with my five-year-old son coaching the T-ball team. So this is the, the, the most recent picture I have in my phone. Cause we just got the photos back. Does that count? It does, and it's adorable, and I even took a screenshot <laughs> that we can put it on social because it's really, really cute. So we're going to have that as well in there because it's really, really cute. I love it. It's perfect. Uh, it's also the last one that you remembered fondly, so that works for me. Uh, yes, very much so. And this is one that I'm interested in, actually. I'm always interested in the answer, but especially since we talked about so many today. What's your favorite social media platform and why? I would say that... Um, right now, my favorite platform is Amazon Live. Um, I'm not sure if I would consider it a platform per se, but the reason is, is that it is a, after dec a decade of doing this, we're having the time of our lives doing this because it is a new content format, right? Like it is a, the whole point of it is to like talk about stuff, talk about products <laughs> and have people buy stuff. Like it's a, it's a totally different like dynamic than like, 
you meant casually mentioning something in a YouTube video, uh, and then passively linking the affiliate link in a, in the in the you know description box or whatever, right? That is a totally different thing than this active format where hey, tune in to our show on Wednesdays at two p.m. Pacific to talk about our summer travel must-haves or something like where we do. That's our show time, two p.m. right uh, on Wednesdays and. Every time we tune in and we talk about it. And the beautiful thing is that we can use this to upsell our existing sponsors. So if people come in wanting to work with us on YouTube or Instagram or whatever, we say, hey, this sounds great. And then in the background, we're like researching whether they sell their products on Amazon. And they're like, hey, would you also like to add an Amazon Live integration into that? And so we've made tens of thousands of dollars by this simple tactic. And so I'm such a huge fan of like, you know, 10 years into this, we are basically reinventing ourselves, right? Like we've never really done live streaming in this way. Yeah, we've live streamed on Instagram and YouTube and stuff like that. But like, it is a very unique skill set to be able to like, if you'll, you can, I, I'll, uh, I'll send you a link that you can include in the show notes to like see what our like live streams are like. It's a very high production value. So like it's multi-camera. We pre-film footage of every product that we show for every stream. We pre-film B-roll showing, doing, you know, uh, like, uh, demos of the product. Uh, and so we overlay that footage while we're talking about it. And this is all live, right? So it's like, we have an A cam on my wife. She's talking about the product Then I pull up the B roll uh, using software. And then, and then we fade it out. And then we show, you know, so it's like, it's a, it's very compelling. And it's just like, we're having so, so much fun learning this new kind of skill set, And like, we're banking on the fact that like in two years, like it's going to be obvious. Like, of course, any brand is going to need like a live, you know, shopping host that's the other beautiful thing is that, you know, yeah, we're like talking about the brands on our platform right now, but you could very easily see like a brand being like, oh, like we need to have like a live shopping host on our Amazon storefront or on our website or whatever. Let's go hire Justin and April to like be our hosts, <laughs> right? And so it's just like, it, 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 there's so many opportunities. I feel like when you when you can like keep your eye on the ball down the horizon as a creator and be like, okay, yeah, you know, this this thing's going pretty well for me right now on these platforms, but like what's next? How can I insulate and, you know, uh, like, you know, uh, future proof my business by learning some new skill sets today? I'm really interested in the answer to the next question, because it might not be related to Amazon Live, but maybe it is. Um, and it would be all about stooping about other people. And can you remember who is the last, one of the most recent people that you followed on any platform? Maybe like, again, can be this or it can be another platform that you're quite active on is there somebody that jumps to mind that i recently followed um i would say lately i have been following yeah actually so the where my current mindset is i'm going to give a, a shout out to my friend dylan bridger he is an email marketer um and i have a call with him literally directly after this podcast <laughs> to talk to him about my my sales strategy, my email marketing strategy, my ad strategy for my next course. My next course, so my current course is called Brand Deal Wizard and it's cohort-based. So I teach it live over Zoom uh, three, three times a year. Uh, and so it's very much you know, a, a live kind of format. And so my next course, which is going to be called Gifted to Paid, like we were talking about, it's this it's this moment around how you convert those free product, uh, you know, offers from brands into paid partnerships. And so that is going to be my first evergreen kind of on-demand course. And so it's a totally different ball game. I've never really done anything like that. And so I really want to nail the strategy of like my email sequences. And so like my mindset is very much in like email marketing mode right now. And so I'm like following people, talking with people right now to like help me really take my kind of email game to the next level because I, I've seen a direct correlation that like, you know, 
the more emails I send, the larger my audience gets on on email, like the more my revenue goes up and things like that too. So I'm really kind of doubling down on, on that strategy. So yeah, Dylan, man, Dylan Bridger. <laughs> I'm going to add the next recommendation on that because as I said, I genuinely love email marketing and I could talk about it all day. Another person worthwhile, if anything, going into their newsletter, obviously, as a newsletter person, there would be. Uh, it's uh, Brennan, Brennan Dunn. I really oh. Fun. Right message. Oh, fab. I have a picture with Brennan just a couple days ago in Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> Brennan, Brennan is my is my idol, by the way. Like Brennan, you you said you didn't you said recent. So I, I w- literally I thought I was like, oh, Brennan, like when, right when you asked that question. But like I followed him like a year, you know, year and a half ago. And so like his newsletter is one of the only newsletters that I read every single edition top to bottom. Like his create and sell newsletter is absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, 100 percent. If like email marketing uh, you know, I'm using his creator template pack, like for my newsletter, like it's the whole, the whole shebang. Yeah. He's amazing. Lots of recommendations. Final, final quick fire question, which have been long fire, but we've seen how the trend of the podcast is, is maybe the hardest one. If you could broadcast one message onto everyone's phones, what would that message say? You're not just a creator. You're a consultant. Want to tell us a bit more about that? that? <laughs> I mean, I was trying. I was trying to keep it ni- nice and uh, and pithy. Um, yeah, mic drop moment. Yeah, and so like I think it goes back to this idea of really um, caring about what the brand is trying to accomplish with this campaign that they're trying to run with you. Is like if you view it as a very transactional thing, where you know you tell me here's the brief, here's the product, I talk about it. Here's the invoice. You pay me. Goodbye. I'll never talk to you again. <laughs> right? That's what a lot of creators do. It's like this very transactional one-off thing. And so when you, if you contrast that with you come in and, and actually ask, tell me what success looks like for this campaign, right? Like help me understand what's worked in the past and what hasn't, right? Like what can we learn from some of these things that you've, that you've tried in the past? Um, when you come at it from that perspective, a, kind of a consultant mindset, um, so many wonderful things happen. They, they look at you now as a partner not a vendor, not a commodity, right? You're actually someone that uh, they could see working with a lo- you know, over a long time period. At that point, it becomes less about your performance, your metrics, your, you know, the KPIs and all followers and all that stuff. It's now about like you are help, you're basically parachuting into their business, helping them understand this complex topic like social media that they don't really quite understand fully. And, you know, a lot of people here like, oh, I only have like 5,000 followers, right? But they look at this like, wow, Justin's got 5,000 followers on TikTok. We have zero. Like they understand, he understands what's going on on this platform, right? And so like there's so many, like we 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 cut ourselves down so much as creators. We, we're so fixated on growing and growth and numbers and like all this stuff in our little space. And that's understandable because that's what we're doing all day long. But you have to understand when brands are reaching out or when you pitch a brand, it's a completely different calculus for them. They're not looking at that stuff like you are. And so like, if you can approach it, not just as a creator, which is important, obviously, there's a lot of create creativity that goes into that. But if you look at this as a marketer or a consultant or someone coming in who's going to be providing a business service, you can inherently change not only how much money you're charging, but how robust and mutually beneficial that relationship ultimately becomes. Thank you. I mean, we could be here for another two hours, but obviously Justin dropped that it kind of has something else, another commitment after this, but we shall shall move along. Uh, But Justin, if anybody else, first of all, actually, thank you. 
for the wisdom. Thank you for being here with us. Of Thank you for thanks for having me. Thank you for running for riding the wave today <laughs> with me. Um, so if people want to ask for any more dating advice, apparently, and also anything about <laughs> uh, I okay, little fact. Uh before my YouTube channel, before I like rebranded it all about educating creators, it was a life advice channel where I literally had dating advice. I had relationship advice, marriage advice, and I, I had like 500 videos that I privated. So that was like my old, the old like, uh, yeah, it was literally called Advice from Justin. That was the name of the channel. So this is something that I have done for like, I really, I love giving advice to people, but yeah, that's not, that's, that's a, that's a past life. I can see that you're natural at it. That's why, uh, that's why I wanted to, you know, <laughs> do that plug. <laughs> yeah. Just in case. I appreciate that. <laughs> but let people know where they can find out more about you. A couple of places they could go at the end of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, the best way to stay updated on all my content and everything I'm working on is, um, is my newsletter, right? It's uh, creatorwizard.com slash join. Um, like I said, I've got almost 5,000 creators on there now and probably, so yeah, tips, tricks, all that stuff about sponsorships, negotiation strategies, all that stuff. But probably the most important reason that you would want to sign up for this is that I literally send you paid sponsorship opportunities every single week on Thursdays. So I'm like curating all the, you know, I, I, my wife and I, as well as the agency, I've just been in this plugged into this space for so long that I see so many opportunities. And so finally I was like, you know what? I should just like <laughs> add this link, put it in my newsletter. Right. And so now there's just, it's become, uh, it's taken on a life of its own. And, um, I get people emailing me back all the time. I got a five figure deal. I got a four figure. Literally I had someone quit their job because of a, of a deal they got from a, from my newsletter. They quit their full-time job and were able to be a full-time creator because of this a long-term engagement that they got. So it, it it's changing lives here, Fab. Like truly, like I'm. It's not just me saying this. It's truly like people. I I literally uh, in my in my speech on stage at CEX just a couple of days ago, I had someone in the audience who was like, "I am just about to get this Skittles deal that you put in the newsletter," and I was like. I was so stoked. And I was like, this person is not a plant. I swear to God, I've never met this person. And they follow my newsletter and is getting a deal with Skittles. So yeah, I can, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spend the love on Instagram at Old Marketing School. Until next time.